0: at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating the future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. And with me today on our show, I am delighted to host Arthur, Arthur, please say this again.
2: Sierra McCauley.
1: With us today on our show is Arthur Sierra McCauley. He's a licensed clinical psychologist who's been treating clients for more than 35 years. He's a member of the American Psychological Association and the Massachusetts Psychological Association. In addition to treating patients, Arthur has lectured at Harvard Health Services, Boston College Counseling Center, and the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, the revelry group as well as being a consultant to several major corporations in the Boston area and a prolific author. So the Voice America show, I want this Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will prepare them to lead their organizations in the dynamic times we're currently facing. The more highly effective leaders we have, the better the journey for all of us. Also, I want to invite our global audiences to find ways to work together peacefully and effectively across borders and boundaries. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to find one thing from each weekly segment that you can put into practice in your own leadership. And what you put into practice could change your mindset and or your behaviors. As leaders, if we're continually experimenting and keeping up to date we don't then have the gap that we see in many other leaders who aren't continually updating their either their thinking or behaviors. So the outcome of this show, Arthur will talk about his most recent book, The Soulful Leader. This book provides poignant and practical examples of his groundbreaking AIE, so authenticity, integrity, and empathy, leadership platform for leaders in all industries to help them successfully optimize the potential of employees. AIE leadership produces an environment where staff members grow to respect each other while producing on the highest possible levels. His pioneering approach offers new promise to a society struggling with fear and doubt about those in positions of power. So, Arthur, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you, Maureen. Thank you for having me.
1: So do you want to give us anything about your background before we jump into the book?
2: Well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in practice for over 35 years, as you've said. I was uh, on the faculty of Harvard Medical School for several years and other universities. And then I was the chief psychologist at Metro Medical Center for 25 years. I also founded the Alternative Medicine Center there as well. So, But in the last 10 years, I've left the hospital and I've been in private practice exclusively and writing and lecturing. So this is my eighth book, The Soulful Leader. Uh, my last book, The Stress Solution, was just published in China. So I'm, I'm, I'm working with patients and I have um, three leadership and communication groups that have been ongoing for over 30 years, and that keeps me pretty busy as well.
1: So are those groups the foundation for the work you're doing right now uh, in the writing space?
2: Yes, by, by and large, yes. I mean, I, I wrote this book, Maureen, because I'm so disturbed by the uh, amount of difficulties with leadership in the corporate world and in our political world. So I think, you know, about 60% of Americans have said in the last year that they believe this is the worst time in their history in terms of our culture. So I was very motivated to write something that spoke to leading with integrity and authenticity and, and empathy which I call AIE leadership, because I think we are in dire need of it at this point.
1: Thank you for sharing your motivation, because I, I hear the same thing and feel the same thing, that that we are in a time of disruption anyway. And, you know, for me, though, it's a bit hopeful, and it's people like you that give me hope, that in times of disruption, we have amazing opportunities to create positive outcomes hopefully to offset some of the negativity we're seeing.
2: Yes, I, I think it, it is definitely an opportunity. I mean, I, I have great faith in America and Americans, and I think we will turn this around, but I think we need guidance. I mean, we we know that mm-hmm. trust in business leaders is at an all-time low, and there's a number of business leaders have, who have displayed unethical behavior as well as politicians. So mm-hmm. uh, it, that really... Demeans employees and makes people not want to come to work. Seventy percent of Americans say that they wake every night due to stress on their job, and they don't want to go to work the next day. Seventy percent of Americans say they don't even want to. They they feel uncomfortable even asking a leader a question because when they ask question, they often feel like they're demeaned or humiliated in front of their their peers. So they 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 feel disengaged, and and that. That doesn't make for happy employees or productivity or creativity. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're referencing statistics in the U.S. and our audience is global. You also talked about your last book just being translated to Chinese. I assume that the Soulful Leader applies to to leaders around the globe, and your some of your research is predominantly American. Well, um, some
2: there are some European studies in the book um, mm-hmm. and. And I have clients around the world. Interestingly, I have because because of Skype um, and because of um, the internet, I, I have clients in Australia. I have clients in England. I have uh, I've had client. I have two clients in Israel. Um, so I I do have clients across the globe, and I and I hear the same kinds of things. There's I mean in Israel, there's lots of concern about leadership as well as many other countries, some in Europe and some in South America. So it's not unique to America. I think we all long for soulful leadership, not just in business and in the corporate world, but in the political world and in our own families. I mean, mothers and fathers are leaders, and and that's where Mm -hmm. we get to see our first model of leadership.
1: And I would extend that to the faith community and the nonprofit community as well, because we've seen violations of trust just across the board.
2: Yes, yes, we have. We have. We so, see leaders who um, are not truthful. Um, we know that certain leaders lie and then, and then they, rather than acknowledging their lying or their mistakes, they make up excuses and keep dodging and, and, and it's a terrible model for young people in particular. I mean, when you, when you lie, it stays in the hearts and minds of, of the receiver forever. It, it, it never goes away. You know, and when you you know from your experience in the business world that if you're doing business with someone and, you, and they lie to you, uh, you you don't want to be around them anymore. And also, you're producing the stress response and the release of the stress hormone cortisol when you cause that kind of tension, which has many many negative consequences.
1: I think that's a great point. Let's shift to the definition of care uh, or the characteristics of a soulful leader, and then come back after that to to the negative impacts when people are not soulful.
2: Okay, so a soulful leader is a person who lives with purpose and expresses a desire to be of service. He or she is not primarily motivated by status or image, but has a natural interest in making the most of all the people they encounter. Soulful people lead with passion and they're intimately aware of the structure of their organization. They're interested in mo- motivating from what I call the bottom-up, not the top-down. They know who cleans their office, who moves, mows the lawn, who fixes their computers, who serves them. They know the secretaries and the receptionists. They speak to everyone, and no person is seen as less valued than anyone else. Soulful, soulful leaders also lead balanced lives. They work with intensity, but they play with abandonment. They know how to have fun. They know how to do what I, what I call the dimmer switch, they know how to turn the dial down when it doesn't need to be on and they know how to turn it up when they need to be intensely involved. They have an inherent love of young people, they love to educate, to witness the blossoming of young talent and, and most importantly, they're the voice of reason in the face of conflict, they're not quick to react, they're the thoughtful contributors, they know how to listen with empathy and they're generally interested in understanding not only those who are like them, but also those who are on the surface seem different. They're known for finding common ground. They know that we're all more alike than we are different. They have great appreciation for diversity, and they know that when their groups are more diverse, they, they see the world in a larger scope so that and that people can be, Uh, more able to strategize about what to bring to market when you have people from different parts of the world, different religions, different ethnic backgrounds, and different sexes. They take in information from diverse sources. They expect to continue to gain information about themselves, their world, and the human condition throughout their lives. And they expect to revise their theories as, as new learning takes place. They're not wedded to one way of thinking, or one way of being, or one way of leading. They realize and willingly accept that in order to live a healthy, high-achieving life, they must adapt to change, and they'll be constantly faced with new situations that require adjustments. They understand that those who are closest to them may may challenge them and may change their views over time, and that's part of the evolution of teasing out the potential of other people. They live their lives with an open heart and an open mind.
1: That's a long list. and. Um, The work we do, while we call it different things, I think we point to very similar qualities of leadership. Uh, I think you flesh out in areas that I don't, but I'd like to dive more into why is it so important to be authentic in business?
2: Well, authenticity, Maureen, attracts others and it creates a sense of connection and security, which enhances a sense of trust to negotiate and work together. Pretense does the opposite. People know over time, you know, we talk about in business, relationships are so important, knowing how to make relationships. The Harvard Business School in their studies indicated that emotional intelligence is three times more important than IQ in terms of making relationships and, and, and producing success, successful business. Why is that? Because when we're authentic, we make people feel secure. We make, make them feel calm and at ease with us. So they're more likely to want to negotiate with us. When you're pretending, when, you're, when you are pretending to be interested in another human being, we sense it. We know it. We feel it in our nervous system. Our nervous systems talk to each other. And you kind of want to move away from that person. You don't want to do business with them, especially you don't want to do business with them over time.
1: So this is where, when you were talking earlier about when people have lied, while I may not catch someone in a lie, it sounds like you're saying that I can feel the disingenuousness or something just doesn't feel right with them, that my nervous system is is on edge, like my dog's hair going up.
2: Yes, yes, exactly, Maureen. When when we sense someone's not being authentic and, and – there's a, a tension that erupts. Our our nervous systems talk to each other. And what happens when we're in that state? We produce this, the, the stress response. And the stress response releases cortisol, a very damaging neurochemical. What does cortisol do? It, it causes negative thinking. It causes weight gain, inflammation, hair loss. It breaks down muscle tissue. It causes flabbiness, depression. It actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. And it, tr- it changes blood sugar levels, which actually adds to weight gain. and enlarges fat cells in the stomach, which creates a craving for sugary, sweet substances. So cortisol is a very damaging chemical that is in our bodies. And when we sense pretense, when we don't sense authenticity or integrity in another human being that we're interacting with or particularly doing business with, we produce the stress response or that person is producing the stress response in us, and that causes a lot of negativity and a desire to move away, not to connect.
1: So if I am the person who's being disingenuous, do I create a stress response in myself or only in other people?
2: It's it's reciprocal. You're creating it in yourself okay. and the other person and without even realizing it. The opposite is, you know, I wrote a book Maureen in 2000 called The Power of Empathy, and I talked then about how the giving and receiving of empathy makes a change and makes people feel more comfortable, but I couldn't prove what brain chemical it actually produced. Now we know through functional MRIs that when you give and receive empathy, and empathy is basically everyday mind reading, it's looking at a person beyond the surface and understanding truly who they are. What What does it do? It produces the neurochemical oxytocin which is what women produce when they're pregnant. What does oxytocin do? It reduces anxiety and cortisol levels. It helps us live longer. It aids in recovery from illness and injury. It promotes a sense of calm and well-being. It increases generosity and empathy. It protects against heart disease. It lessens inflammation. It reduces craving for addictive substances. And most importantly, it creates a bond and an increase in trust of the other person. It decreases fear and it creates a sense of security. And in personal relationships, it makes us open for love. But in business, it makes us open to negotiate and want to develop contracts and connections with that person. We're actually changing brain chemistry when we relate with empathy and integrity and authenticity, When we relate with fear and aggression, which is the way a lot of people lead, we're creating the stress response, which does the opposite.
1: So that's a great place for us to go on break. So for our listeners, as we go into a break, I encourage you to reflect on someone who has demonstrated empathy with you and how you feel, physiologically feel, when you're with them. And then someone who has created an, an the opposite response, a sense of fear or distrust or di- unease, dis-ease, uh, and how you feel around them. And we'll come back and talk a little bit more about how, these, how we manage the brain chemicals and our behaviors. Arthur and Maureen will be right back, innovative leaders, thriving, thriving organizations, and talking about soulful leaders.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment.
1: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call one 866 472 5790. That's one eight six six four seven two fifty seven ninety. 472 5790 Or send an email to info at Innovative Leadership Institute.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back. You're joining Innovative Leaders Creating Our Future. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Arthur Sierra McCauley, and we're talking about the soulful leader. Before we went on break, Arthur was explaining the um, brain chemicals that are emitted during a, a sense of authenticity being oxytocin and during a sense of uh, people being disingenuous being cortisol. And we talked a little bit on break about how is there an antidote to those chemicals. So, Arthur, can you tell us that, and then we'll talk about performance addiction.
2: Well, when we make the important connection through empathy with other people, whether it's in personal relationships or professional, Maureen, we, we are creating the antidote to cortisol because oxytocin, the neurochemical oxytocin, reduces the release of cortisol. It reduces anxiety and, le- and, and reduces cortisol levels. So when we connect in that way, and, and, and that is really one of the gifts of listening, know, knowing how to listen empathically. Because when we listen with empathy, we listen beyond the surface and we truly get to know the other human being. And you know, empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It's very different than sympathy. Sympathy rushes into console, assuming that whatever experience I had, if you had a similar experience, you know, if someone passed away in your family and someone passed away in mine, I'm assuming you feel exactly the way I do, without really knowing the facts. Empathy slows down the process to find out the facts, and it produces oxytocin and serotonin, another calming neurochemical, which makes us feel more generous and trusting and secure. So it is the antidote to cortisol, basically.
1: So if I leave a, an interaction with someone that makes my skin crawl or, or, or some variation of that, then I should go connect with someone and demonstrate empathy to, to reset my system or, or I, I assume I could also sit quietly and, and experience empathy either toward myself or someone else without them being present.
2: Yes, you, if, you, if you didn't personalize it and you realized that you were in the presence of someone that was toxic, um, then it wouldn't be it, it, you would be using your empathy to understand where that other person was coming from and you wouldn't personalize it. you wouldn't be criticizing yourself or taking in the negative impact of whatever that other person said. That's why AI leaders are so different in that regard, because when you're in their presence, you know, they cause positive brain changes in themselves and others, and they create that spirited atmosphere in their business environment that naturally allows productivity, creativity, and, and obviously increased profits.
1: Well, and you also said they give the opportunity to have different points of view and different perspectives and still feel safe and appreciated.
2: Yes. Soulful leaders have an appreciation for difference. You know, we're at a time now where race relations are at an all-time low. There's great prejudices toward people that don't look like us or maybe not of the same ethnic background. And... Soulful leaders are are open to diversity, they're open to all people. You know, my favorite quote is by Thomas Paine. He said that, my religion is to do good and my country is the world. And I mean, I I just love that quote because he's saying, I love all people and and my religion is to do good. And all the major religions, the basic bedrock value of them is to do good. So Mm -hmm. when we reject people or we don't want to be associated with people just because they're different than us on the surface, we're we're creating a very small environment. It's like getting 10 white 50-year-old men together to design how to bring a product to market. I mean, it's sort of like preaching to the choir. You may have some difference of opinion, but if you have two men. Uh, three women, someone from Argentina, another person from Israel, maybe someone who came from Britain, uh, and male and females, then you start to see that people are encompassing all the variables in the world and they, they have a much better sense of what products to bring to market and where they'll sell because their empathy is expanded. You know, diversity expands our empathy. When we're more prejudiced and biased and we have black and white thinking, it limits our empathy. Empathy allows us to see all the variables in a situation. Black and white thinking is very, very closed-minded thinking, and it makes for poor business decisions.
1: It makes sense, and certainly for any of us running organizations, we want to create the best probability of a positive future. Yes. And a positive present. Well,
2: happy people, you know, when you, when you know how to produce positive neurochemicals, in your employees or your family or your friends, you're producing happiness. What happens when people are happy? When people are happy, they're more creative. When they're more creative, they're more productive. When we're more productive and creative, profits go up. There's there's a a, a consulting group in England called the Lady Geek Consulting Group, and they showed that they studied companies to see who had the most empathic environments and who had the least empathic environments. The top ten companies increase their value twice as much as the ones in the bottom ten.
1: That's a good business proposition. Yeah. Well, and I think back earlier in my career, and I think you made reference to something similar, I I was working with a client who said, you know, intuitively it seems like a good idea for people to be happy, but until you can prove it to me, I'm going to just push them. When happiness becomes a, a measure of productivity and value, I'll change my behavior. And now that, we have that
2: data. Now, now we have that data. There are a number of studies in the book and a number of international studies in the book that indicate over and over again that when we lead with authenticity, integrity, and empathy, that profits go up. It just is rational, reasonable. If people are happier, if people have feel-good neurochemicals in their brains, why aren't they going to think more creatively? They want to come to work. They want to work with soulful leaders. They want to work with people that they know are going to value their input. You know, companies who win the the Corporate Health Achievement Award, they they outperform the S&P 500 by 200 percentage points or more in the last five years consistently Mm -hmm. because they're concerned with the environment and the health of their employees, and their employees Mm -hmm. know it. So they're outperforming the S&P by 200 percentage points. I mean,
1: that's incredible. I really appreciate the data because I think most people want their employees to be happy, and yet we're all trying to get through the day and get it all done and whatever your definition of that is. So let's use that as our segue into the definition of performance addiction.
2: Yeah, performance addiction is the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will bring love and respect. It's Ah. an It's an irrational belief system that begins in our homes, and and it's reinforced by cultural expectations. You know, this emphasis on appearance and status has been overwhelming in our country. And because of it, character and integrity have taken a back seat. And performance addicts tend to be perfectionists. They believe they can perfect their way into happiness. And,
1: hmm.
2: and when it doesn't work, they, they spend more hours in the office, and they try to drive people harder, and they try to achieve more. The bottom line is achievement isn't meant to bring us happiness or love. It's how we connect to bring us happiness and love. It's how we enter into a relationship with other people, whether it's professionally or personally, that brings us respect and love. But when you grow up feeling... Somewhat less than, and you are capable. You start to realize that when you achieve, you get applause, and then it becomes addictive. And that's what performance addiction is. It's the addiction to to achievement and getting that external validation of who you are. But the bottom line is, if you grow up not feeling good enough, you know you can't solve an internal problem with an external.
1: So how do you help people recover from this? Because my, not to at all criticize my parents or their parenting, but I have grown up with a sense of it is better to deliver good results than not. And that, that is a self-reinforcing loop. Yes. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the
2: responsibilities we have as adults is to unlearn. People think just about learning, but we need to unlearn. We all grow up writing a novel about ourselves early in life. You know, we look into the mirrors of our parents, our teachers, our coaches, and because we don't know who we are, we look into their eyes and we try to, from their feedback, try to figure out who we are. But what if we're looking into a, a not a, a clear mirror but a cracked mirror? It's like looking into a circus mirror. If you grow up with a depressed mother or a, a father who pushes too much and is too driven or an alcoholic parent or an obsessive parent or an anxious parent, you don't get an accurate reflection of who you are. So many people live that novel throughout their lives and they don't realize that much of what they think about themselves is untrue. So we have to unlearn. We have to get feedback from reasonable, objective people in our adult life to find out who we truly are. And when you do that, you realize that it's important to achieve. Look, you and I are competitive individuals and we wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah. But if you don't have that dimmer switch, and, you don't, and if you don't know how to love, and many corporate leaders and many political leaders, they know how to achieve, but they don't know how to love. They don't know how to maintain lasting intimacy. So what happens? They wear down. I see it when people start in their 50s and certainly in their 60s. I gave a talk, Maureen, to 100 CEOs out in Idaho not long ago, and at the end of the talk, this man came up to me. He, was, he said, I'm 76 years old, and you ruined my day. I said, what do you mean I ruined your day? He said, I'm 76, I own seven companies, I'm a multimillionaire. I have two sons. I sent them to private high schools, private colleges, took them on vacations in Australia, Australia, New Zealand, all through Europe, bought them fancy cars, and guess what? They're married today. I have four grandchildren, I have obviously two daughter-in-laws, I see them once a year. They don't really want to be around me. So he said, everything you're saying is true. I learned how to achieve, but I never really learned how to love. And he asked me, he looked at me and he said, honestly, and he had tears in his eyes, is it too late? I said, no, it's not too late. You need to call them, go see them, apologize, tell them that you did what you thought was teaching them love and success. (laughs) But you you didn't know how to do it. You weren't taught it, so you couldn't pass it on but now you're trying to learn. I think that will mean a great deal to them.
1: So I assume beyond calling them, this is connected directly to performance addiction, that if if my story about myself to myself from my parents, wherever it originated was, a good spouse delivers, takes care of the house, puts things in order, whatever words you use to fill that in, and... and and in those cases, it doesn't necessarily include soulful presence. It includes delivering results. Yes, yes.
2: And, and, I, and I like that term that you just described, soulful presence, because I think when you have soulful presence, people feel it. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, our nervous systems talk to each other. You feel it, you sense it, and you want to be with that person. And people who have soulful presence, soulful leaders, they're the same person in their homes as they are at work. They're not two different people. That's why corporate leaders, political leaders, have so much trouble when they come home, because they're trying to run their family like it's a business. You know, they're ordering people around, and they expect to be idealized in their in their home, and it just doesn't work that way. You have to roll up your sleeves and get down on the rug and play with your kids. You, you have to have that dimmer switch. And when you have that, you go back to work with more resilience because you're happy. You leave your home feeling happy and you carry that into the day because your brain chemistry is in the right place for you to produce creatively.
1: So let's do a quick answer to soulful listening and then we'll go on the next break. What is soulful listening in about a minute and a half?
2: Well, soulful listening is using empathy to enter into the heart and soul of another human being, to see beyond the surface. As I said earlier, empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It's really me trying to understand you, Maureen, uniquely. I'm not assuming that I know what you think or value or believe. I'm asking open-ended questions and that is soulful listening. I'm trying to understand who you are, not assuming that you're just like me. I'm interested and curious about the way you think. What's, what is your character? What are your likes and dislikes? So when you do that, people talk. You know, so often people say to me, oh, you know, I, I, my husband's coming to see her, or my wife's coming to see her, or my, my son or daughter, and they probably won't talk to you. They're not very verbal. Guess what happens? It never turns out that way. When people are listened to that way with that soulful presence that you described, they talk. Human beings want to under, be understood. But when we're not listening, and, and we, we, have, we have grown to be very poor listeners in this culture, when we're not truly listening, when we're interrupting the other person, one of my client's wife calls it, uh, 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 what she called it, preloading. She says, you're reloading. While, not preloading, reloading. Uh, while I'm talking, because you can you know when people you're talking to them and their mouths are open like they can't wait to speak while you're talking, you know they're not really listening to you. and it and it becomes very discouraging. But when you're listened to empathically, that in that soulful way, it touches the soul of the other person.
1: So I'm assuming that this is also accompanied by the the soulful presence, the soulful listening, that people's neural neuro, neurological system feel it like we were talking about at the beginning with authenticity, that I can feel when someone is listening to me soulfully and I feel not judged. Yes. Yes. Accepted. Yes. So I, we are about ready to go on break. I would encourage our listeners to think about a time where they have been listened to soulfully and where they have also listened to others soulfully and how they might do more of that, how you might do more of that in your professional life. We will be right back. This is Arthur and Maureen, and we are talking about soulful leadership.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
2: We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy
1: threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday
0: at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: You are joining Maureen Metcalf and Arthur Sierra McCauley and we're talking about his book, The Soulful Leader. So let's now shift to what is a, how is a soulful organization created? Well, Maureen, a soulful
2: organization is created by a leader who is empathic, a great listener, highly ethical, with high integrity, a person who is authentic, humble yet confident, happy yet intensely serious when needed which results in employees being committed to the organization's vision when the leader is present and when he or she is absent. A soulful organization is one that it, it, it conducts itself that way. The, the leader doesn't always have to be present because he or she has been a model that's established an environment, this kind of organization that has its qualities consistently in place. Now, no one can be this way all the time. But soulful, a soulful organization has leaders that when they make a mistake, they acknowledge b- making a mistake. They, they want to learn from it, and they move on. But part of the problem with the organizations that are toxic in our culture right now, political and corporate, is that le- these are leaders who are not humble and are not acknowledging when they make a mistake. They, they tend to lie or hide or create a story, a storyline, and it just makes people feel disheartened but a soulful organization isn't like that people can make errors and people learn from them and they move on and yet they they don't have to hide when they make a mistake they're not humiliated they're, they're not embarrassed and that's the kind of organization that's important uh, for, for more productivity and obviously as we said earlier higher profits
1: so i assume then the leaders behavior is contagious and that they begin to build a culture that is also soulful across the organization.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Do you know if these organizations have different systems in place? Like, do they look and reward this kind of behavior more, or is it contagious in and of itself?
2: Well, it's contagious within and of itself, but I think um, people are responding to it and they do talk about it. They talk because when you work for an organization like this, it's very noticeable. You feel it. You feel the difference. You know, at the Harvard Business School, uh, one of their studies displayed that leaders who relate with warmth are more effective than those who lead with aggression. And because there are brain changes caused by both, as we were talking about earlier. Aggression and fear leading that way changes chemistry so that people fear you, they don't want to be around you, whereas people who lead in a soulful way, um, they create a sense of happiness and joy. You know, a lot of these studies showed that, you know, another study by the Harvard B School is leaders who express kindness, they spread they, they spread throughout the organization when they display kindness and a sense of they're conveying a sense of dignity in the way they interact with their employees. Conversely, one of the studies I, I, I cited in, in, the, in the book is that 51,000 leaders were studied, Marie, and what, what was found most, most impressive in that study was that leaders who, had, who were disliked had a 1 in 2,000 chance of being considered a good leader. They lowered the mood of the organization and it resulted in less a, a, a revenue. But imagine, you have a 1 in 2,000 chance of being considered a good leader if you're disliked, So, which means that you're not going to change people's opinions. They don't want to work for you, and they don't want to be around you. And when that takes place, even when people's bonuses are dependent on it, they will unconsciously undermine you because they don't like you and they know that you treat them in a demeaning way. It's been proven that in, in, in studies have proved that in the empathic, authentic environments of work, people will even work for 10 to 15% less money because they'd rather be happy than have 10% or 15% more money and be treated rudely.
1: You know, you talked about being respectful. That seems like just a foundational quality that I want to be treated. People don't have to love me, but I don't want to be treated with disrespect.
2: Yes, yes.
1: It just one of the things that strikes me is uh, back to the data, because it seems intuitively obvious, but but that you can talk about the statistics and the physiological impact that it evokes and how how we as humans, as, as a complete package, when our physiology is impacted, it changes our brain chemistry and our willingness to cooperate.
2: Yes, I think most people realize that that's what's happening when you, when you lead a, one way or the other. Um, it, it's very hard to not want to be that way. I mean especially, you know, uh, what, when people realize that the bottom line isn't everything, but when you relate to others with dignity, you increase the bottom line. You know, the Great Place to Work Institute, they, their studies show that a culture of integrity lowers turnover it increases morale, and higher earnings and increased share prices are a result.
1: Okay, so you've talked a lot about empathy. Let's hit the topic of integrity because we have gone a little lighter on that topic.
2: Integrity is a quality that indicates that you're a person that, that lives your values and your beliefs. You're not a chameleon you don't move and change depending on who you're talking to you don't change the story just to win the contract you have integrity you know warren buffett and i don't know warren buffett very well but one thing i was i was uh, i always remember he was interviewed and he doesn't do many interviews but he was interviewed once when the dot com uh, era was was taking place and people were making money hand over fist um in that in, in, in technology, and, and someone asked him, uh, should they, what do you think about Berkshire Hathaway right now? What are you going to write in your yearly uh, letter? And he said, quite frankly, I wouldn't buy Berkshire Hathaway right now. He said, I don't know much about technology. I, I don't really understand it, and I don't all understand why all these dot-com businesses are working the way they are and people are making so much money. So I would stay away from my stock right now. As a result, people bought it because he was being very conservative about what he was investing in. I told a story in the book about another person, CEO in a a very noted company here in Massachusetts, who was on MSNBC at one point, and he was asked in the first quarter whether his company was going to reach its goal that quarter. And he said, the next quarter, and he said, absolutely. And the truth was, all the people who knew him, the higher executives that were listening to that show, they all – bowed their heads and they were so disappointed because they knew they had no chance of meeting those goals that time. Their stock went from $110 per share in one year to $5.10 per share. Wow, that's
1: pretty dramatic.
2: And now when he teaches that particular individual, he says, the one thing I didn't learn how to do as a corporate executive was to use the phrase, I don't know. He said, so many people were angry with me, investors and others, even my close friends, because I said, absolutely. That's the way I always was taught to respond. But I should have been more thoughtful. And he said, I should have just said, I don't know. That's what Warren Buffett said the same year. I don't know.
1: Well, this comes back to, again, we, we are programmed in either in B-School or through our families or or through Rising in the Ranks. that 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 kind of behavior is rewarded until it's not.
2: Yes, yes.
1: And when it's not, it's penalized.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we just have to realize that if you want an organization where people respect each other and they respect you and you thrive, and you thrive in terms of profits and creativity, you, you want to lead with empathy and AIE leadership and you want to make it a central part of your life. You want to be the change and when you do that you cause a ripple effect in your homes and in your organizations. And it's not just a theoretical thing. You know, change is an active process. You have to put empathy and AIE leadership into action and if you do so, you become part of making a better world and a better organization.
1: So on the note of making a better world, how does giving to others change your brain chemistry?
2: Well, you know, there's there's such a thing Maureen called as helper's high. We know when we give to others, it creates in the release of positive neurochemicals just like runners high. <laughs> the same thing. The same thing happens. So when you the first you produce a sense of happiness and joy in them and in yourself. It's why, for instance, volunteers often feel very happy. Um, there was a study not, uh, maybe uh, by the MacArthur Foundation, I think it was 10 years ago, and they were trying to find out who lives the longest in the country, and they, know, and they, they found that there was a group of nuns in Seattle who would go out and feed the poor every day, and they li- live, each one of them had a little room that they lived in, they had little money, but they went out and fed the poor, and they brought them food, and they, and they, they had a soup kitchen, and they lived into their 90s and some over a hundred. And why why did they do so? What they found out is their brains were always filled with these happy neurochemicals because everyone knew them in the, in the streets. They couldn't wait to see them. They, they They were revered because of what they did for other people.
1: So it sounds like we are going back to the theme of whether it's empathy or authenticity or integrity that all of those are creating these positive neurochemicals that we get the benefit of as the person doing the act and people around us get the benefit because they basically entrain with us emotional or physiologically yes
2: yes you know the longest study on happiness was done it has been a, a study that's been conducted at Harvard it and it now I think it was let's see 20 I think it's 39 years now in What what did they find when they followed these men all those years? That happy people are the most successful people. Seventy-six percent of those people in the study gave primary credit to their happiness and their success, and most of them are in the corporate world, to the success of intimate relationships.
1: Okay, so on that note, then, let's talk about soulful listening and creating trust and generosity, because it, it seems like we're now tying together each of these segments. So back to soulful listening, but we've also just talked about people who are giving and how that impacts both our neurochemistry neural and those who entrain with us.
2: Well, I think what we're tying in is that We know that we live in a time where leaders have made their employees very stressed. You know, the Indiana University research indicates that one out of every five leaders is, is toxic. And some studies indicate that it's two out of five, some three out of five. The Workplace Bullying Institute indicates that 65 million U.S. workers were affected by bullying. And 61% left their job. They didn't complain to anybody because they were afraid of being blackballed. You know, 75% of American workers have been affected by bullying either as bystanders or directly to them. So we know the environment is not good. We know the political environment is not good. What do we all need to do to change it? We need to relate with authenticity. We need to relate with integrity, following our beliefs and our values and we need to expand our capacity for empathy. When you do that, when you lead with AIE leadership, you're going to become more successful in your home, you're going to become a model that will make others more successful, and you're going to be more successful in your business. We have to turn the tide. Leading through aggression and fear is a very poor model for young people, it's a very poor model for people in your family, people close to you, and your employees because basically it, de- it depletes the leader and those around him or her.
1: So on that note that I love that you wrapped up with what can we do, we've got a couple of minutes left. Will you tell our listeners how they can learn more about you, get access to your books and the articles you've written?
2: Sure, Mari. My, my website is balanceyoursuccess.com and you can order the book The Soulful Leader there or you can order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. But if you want to get in contact with me, you can write me an email through that that site as well, balancersuccess.com. My other books are there, my other articles, blogs, and actually several interviews that I've done over the years are there as well.
1: So as we close, do you want to wrap up in about 1 minute biggest takeaways you want a listener to have as we think about what can what can we do what we started the show encouraging people to take away either a change in mindset or a behavior what would you recommend
2: I would say that you know the type of high character that we're talking about is missing in our society at this moment and we all need to take action to make character and connections more important than status and image if you do that, you're part of facilitating the change and you're part of, being a, a part of being in an action movement that really makes a difference to our society as a whole.
1: Thank you so much, Arthur. I really appreciate your hopeful and soulful insight, the data, the, the connecting of brain science and business data for our listeners. And for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I really do encourage you to take away some of the recommendations you heard from Arthur. We love to hear your feedback. Please email me at info at innovateleader.com or innovative leadership on Facebook. I take your feedback seriously and we use it to shape our shows. Thank you for joining us and we hope that you are able to continue to join us next week.